BMI was supposed to be measuring populations, not individuals. It is height and weight. Those individuals who are in the higher BMI classes basically hold a scarlet letter. They go into the office and they are judged based on the size of their bodies and very difficult when you're trying to go in and care for yourself by seeing your doctor and the doctor only sees your weight. You can see how it has racist roots. Hey, 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 welcome to yet another episode of Period Sis. I'm your host, Mandy B, and this is brought to you by none other than the official box owner. I do once again want to thank everyone who has tuned in to Period Sis wherever you listen to us. Make sure you rate, subscribe, and review, and also be sure to check us out at the official box owner dot com website where we have all of our products and everything going on but this is period sis so we're going to get right into another tale of womanhood and this week we are joined with a woman to discuss the story um and the problem with our society surrounding pregnancy with big women i'm gonna say that for now okay this is another tale of womanhood for women by women women Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, hey, Mandy. So, saying fat is perfectly okay. Look. We don't have to say big. We don't have to say plus size. We are fat. The adjective of fat has turned into where people assume it's bad and it's not. I know. I know. And you guys, yes, and y'all know I have went through my, uh, my my weight loss journey in out in public i was 230 pounds i'm now about 165 even more than my 150 that i had gotten down to after gastric and in pre-production talking with nikki um who is a mother of a one-year-old i'm super excited to to talk with her about her journey as soon as i was talking she felt like me using all of these other adjectives except for fat and nikki was just like girl you can say fat it's okay and so anyone listening, I don't want you to feel offended because in my line of questioning and in this conversation of, of exploring Nikki's journey through pregnancy, I want you to know, and I don't want you to be offended, but Nikki is fully comfortable in her skin and who she is. And so she came at me and said, I want to share my journey about trying to conceive as a fat woman. Um, and so we're not only going to talk about her weight, but also her being a black woman. So before we get started, Nikki, yes, you're a mother, but let's go back to growing up fat. Can I say that? Is yeah. that something that you experienced Absolutely. early on? And can you just let me know uh, what your relationship was like with your with your peers and in your family and what that was like growing up? So I've always been the fat kid. So growing up, I've been in two or three different fat camps that my parents put me in over the years. Um, and to them, it wasn't so much as you look bad. It was you're young and we want you healthy. But I've been fat since first, second grade. I've been in husky clothing. Right. I've always been the tall, fat kid. So I'm 6'2". And I oh. have been 6'2 since ninth grade. Um, oh, wow, you're I, tall. I am. I transferred out of elementary school because the bullying had gotten so bad. Little boys would follow me around the hallways and make elephant noises. And the principal's response was, boys will be boys. 
Oh, wow. So I switched schools to kind of get away from that. But after elementary school, the bullying kind of went away. And that probably has to do with the height. Um, you start <laughs> to get a little intimidated after a certain <laughs> age point. Um, but I'm the sweetest thing. I've never fought anybody. So it was just the appearance. And so you had to deal with, of course, young kids being bullies. Can you let me know how your weight affected you when it when it came into uh, puberty and when it came into dating uh, and finally finding attraction to boys and, and what dating was like for you early on? So I can honestly say I never had issues dating. You'd occasionally get someone who's like, I don't like fat girls. But I was always talking to someone, which is the wording that you'd use starting to when I was allowed to and a little before I was allowed to. I grew up in a relatively strict household. My dad's a pastor, mom's okay. a pastor's wife. So relatively strict household. But of course, we still did all the things. And you'd always get people, especially as the fat friend, because all of my friends were super oh. tiny, especially in undergrad. And the person would be like, oh, I'm stuck with the fat girl. So you, oh, hear, you definitely hear that a lot. Um, in those first couple of years, but I met my husband or he met me when he was a freshman in college and I was a sophomore and he stalked all of my social media. <laughs> he would like all the pictures. He would comment under all the pictures. And I was like, why is this big headed boy bothering me? <laughs> and it wasn't until a year later on new year's Eve, he commented under a picture that was like single at new Year's, single at Christmas. He was like, you might not be single for Valentine's day. I said, According to who? Oh. Me. Oh. <laughs> he came in swinging, didn't he? Under an Instagram post very publicly. Him and an ex-boyfriend were both commenting under the post at the same time. And we went out on a date a less than a month later, January 2015, and we have been together ever since. That is amazing. And, and what also is amazing about that story is a lot of people assume that when you're a bigger woman you just have to settle or that people you know that you'll never find love and I mean we actually just got an email sent into us uh over on the horrible decisions patreon platform where she felt like she was going to forever be undeserving of love because she had gained 150 pounds because of a uh a, a disability um that she was dealing with and it was unfortunate because in, in our society, there is constant fat phobia um, and the treatment of women specifically. I mean, we're seeing it now in, in social media with the Lizzo conversation and just the pressures to be a certain size. I guess you you kind of in hearing your, your story to childhood, it didn't seem like it ever really affected you. Were you always this confident or was that something you just because you lived with it your whole life, you just ignored it well a, I, a little bit of both so I've lived with it my whole life but I also grew up in a household of positivity so okay. I grew up with my granddad always he called me big girl sometime as a loving way but he also called me pretty girl all the time 24 7 um my stepdad was always talking about you are so pretty my mom they put that in me to awesome. where it was really hard for anybody else to take that away from me um, and you understand the things that you require. I watched how my stepdad, my dad, if I say my dad, I'm talking about him. Um, 
But my dad, I watched how he loved my mom. And I knew that's the love that I'm going to get. Mm, there wasn't a, this is the kind of love I might get. No, this is all that I'm willing to accept. I love that. So you're with your partner. How long were you guys together? And your partner is now your husband, correct? He is. And he is really tiny. And you all <laughs> you often see people, like he's tall, but he's skinny. And so when we first started dating, you kind of see people stop and look. Because it is a different dynamic. Right. Um, it's funny because I always say I, when I was at my biggest, the skinnier the man, they, the more they loved me, honey. Maybe they 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 needed some meat on their bones and I was the meat that was going to be on their bones. I don't remember. You <laughs> I always attracted just the smallest. And that's what I was attracted to. And it's crazy because with them, my weight, they'd never mentioned my weight. I would literally be with trainers sometimes and it would be amazing because I was who they wanted my curves my my creases everything they loved it but you hear so. a lot of the time and I can't say I'm always like you know like oh my gosh look at me I'm fabulous there have absolutely been days where I look at him and be like are you sure you love me am I too big are you sure are you sure we're okay are you sure I'm okay and he'll look at me he was like I knew you were fat when I told you <laughs> I loved you and we had a real one. And I loved that. that. I knew her. He was like, I knew your size when I met you. And I loved you then. And I love you now. That is amazing. And I think that that's the type of partner anyone should have. Like those words of affirmations are definitely mm -hmm. needed. I did want to get into what this episode is about because you came at me and I was like, girl, let's talk about it. So Nikki, you, um, you got married to your husband and after marrying your husband, you wanted to start a family. Can you talk to me about what the conversation was like first with your husband and then you all trying to go about conceiving? So when we first kind of started dating, we knew we wanted to get married and have kids. We said we wanted three and now we may only want one. But when we talked about it, we knew after we got married, we wanted to be married for a year. Okay. So we got married, we met, in, we dated 2015, we got married in 2018, and we got pregnant in 2019. So okay. fairly along the lines, but even when I moved um, to a different city in Georgia, me and my OB were already talking about, okay, I'm going to be on birth control only for two years, and then we'll get off to try to get pregnant, and she was fully supportive. Okay. But then we moved to South Carolina shortly after we got married. In the first place that I found as an OB, I told her, hey... In about six months, we're going to start trying to conceive. At the time, we were using what's called the natural family planning method. Um, I know Wheezy uses that, but like I track using ovulation strips and basal thermometers to avoid getting pregnant, and that's how we avoided for the first year. Okay. And then, um, and I told her, and she was like, "No, I. If something happens, I'm not going to help you get pregnant if you need help." She wait, told you, me, wait, 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 wait. Your OB. Who uh -huh. was a woman as well? Yes. Said that she would not she she help. Would not help because it was a risk she didn't want to take at my weight. So, of course. The wait, wait. The risk being your weight and your weight uh -huh. only? That was it. Oh, wow. So, I reached out to local communities and I was like, hey, I need a, what they call um, provider of size. So, providers who work with any size patients without stigma. And one I, moment, one moment, because I had no clue this was a thing. Yeah, there's and maybe the people listening may not know. So what there's a 
it's called a size provider. Uh huh. And this is different insurances that assist with it's people. It's not who insurance. Would be- There's what's oh, not that have it. Yeah, because if you fat women and men have to find doctors who will not instantly jump to weight, you start to see so many doctors. You can come in and say, "Hey, my arm is hurting. Lose weight, and then it'll stop hurting." Oh, oh, my, I have a migraine, lose weight and the migraine will go away. So you have to find doctors who look beyond just your weight as an issue for things that have nothing to do with weight. Okay. Okay. So when you say providers, you are talking about the actual medical professionals, the actual medical professionals. So I found one and I was in love with her. And when we sat down and she was like, hey, after three months of not getting pregnant, I think it was about three or four after I finally sat down and was like, hey, I want to do something. After three months, she said a perfectly healthy person should start seeing some kind of movement. And so she offered, I can't think of the medication name. She was like, all this does is uh, start your ovulation earlier. Okay. And we- okay, so wait, I, and I just want to make sure I, I have this right. So you stopped, um, you stopped the birth control. Yeah, I so I stopped birth control really early. Um, okay. I did the implant, which I was allergic to from the inside out. Okay. I tried the IUD, which fell out, <laughs> and because okay. I have migraines, I can't take the pill, which is why I switched to natural family planning. Okay, and so you're saying in three months. What what was not happening? So Just- nothing was happening. Knowing we were having sex on ovulation days and nothing happening, she was like, hey, at this point, let's see what else is going on. She was like, I'll send you just to a reproductive endocrinologist just so they can run tests and make sure everything's where it's supposed to be. Okay. And this is where I was like, okay, she's all for me. And when I sat with this, the OB, she talked about how Weight isn't an issue, isn't the what causes you to be high risk. It's if you have additional issues related to your weight that cause you to be high risk. And people don't talk about that side of the research. Ah. And she was like, with you not having any comorbidities is what they're called. Aside from your weight, I have no issue with helping you get pregnant. She was great. Okay. So I went to the reproductive endocrinologist and we were sitting in her office and she said, and this is her words. There's nothing we can do for you unless you lose 250 pounds. How could you share what your weight was and essentially what 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 weight you would be minus the 250? So I was above 400. I am above okay. 400. And she wanted me about she said about 200 to um 175 to 200. I have not been 200 pounds since middle school, high school maybe. Wow. Okay. So even at my height, that's not, it's not in that healthy BMI range to be 175 at 6'2 anyway. Right. She wouldn't do anything. So all they did was they looked at my ovaries and she said, there's too much fat here. We can't see them. (laughs) You're lying. No, that was her exact words to me. And I was like, well, I know I'm ovulating. She said, well, how do you know? I said, I track ovulation faithfully in half or over a year. She's like, well, we can't tell how many eggs you have. Now, funny thing, two weeks later, I did get a positive pregnancy test. Okay. So there was nothing wrong. Right. 
and kind of here's where it starts getting a little weird because I love my OB. She was phenomenal. I was 10 weeks pregnant, going to my third follow-up. And when I got there, you normally see a nurse first. Okay. My doctor pulled me into a room. And I was like, hey, Dr. B, I won't say her name. I don't normally see you yet. And she was like, I wanted to be the one to talk to you. What do you mean? You know there's four of us in the practice. All four of us, we have to have a 75% agreement on patients that we see. Because you never know who will be here to actually deliver your baby. I was like, yeah, I know. Well, I'm the only one who was okay with continuing to see you. Excuse me? <laughs> so I got fired from my OB's office. And to the point where she walked me out of the back door so that I didn't have to walk back through and see every all the nurses and all the doctors and everything. And she was like, we're just going to let you go see the high-risk doctors, maternal fetal medicine for good. And I had already seen them once for a follow-up. And the high-risk doctor said, hey, we don't see a reason to continue to see you because you're, you're, aside from your weight, you don't have a high-risk pregnancy. Right. Well, I had to see them the whole pregnancy because my OB's office did not want to continue to see me. The one that I handpicked, I handpicked. What was that experience like going now back to the high-risk? Like, were you comfortable with the high-risk doctors and did... Did they have any anything to to say about? I can't believe they were here? shocked that they fired me. Um, they were really shocked. And they said they don't see that happen, where they are someone's primary provider. Right. Normally, they're only there if it's a really high risk situation. Um, there were all these expectations of issues and things that could go wrong. Um, and I saw them the whole pregnancy. But you miss out on all those things from regular doctor's offices, the pictures on the walls. And you look for, as a fat person, you look for specific things in doctor's offices, right? So you look for offices that have chairs without the ends on them. You look for um, doctors who have the, who have extended scales in the office. Right. Internal fetal medicine didn't have chairs that were comfortable. They, I mean, they were all right. They only had one scale that really worked well. And I don't get me wrong, seeing them was good because I had a black nurse practitioner. Okay. And I saw her the whole pregnancy, but I had a list of things that I asked my OB before I started. Your experience with fat women, your experience with black women. I kept a list of these questions to make sure that I'd be best looked out for. And when I called my doula and I was like, hey, they fired me. She was like, what? She recommended them and she was in shock. So let's get to your process leading right up to delivery. So your your fourth trimester. And were there any complications as you excelled through pregnancy? What were the conversations? And, and mind you, outside of being... Uh, a, a fat b- woman, you are also a black woman, and there's also the stigmas and not trusting healthcare providers there as well. At what all. was your experience with that then also being a black woman? So my biggest thing was finding a doula who had experience with both. Okay. I could not find a black doula here where I live who had experience with fat women. 
And I needed both of those things because both of those things play a major role in my overall outcome. Correct. So I found a doula who was a white woman who had worked with lots of fat women and lots of black women. Okay. And it mattered. So throughout my pregnancy, and I'll talk about the third trimester as well, they made me take what's the gestational diabetes test four times. Most people only take it once unless they are borderline the first time. I was perfect all four times that they made me take it, um, but they were like shocked, not realizing regular diabetes has to do with weight. Gestational diabetes has to do with your placenta. It has mm. absolutely nothing to do with your weight. So I passed it each time and each time they were shocked, but I was tired of drinking this nasty stuff. <laughs> right. And so those kinds of things. And the fourth time was I was 30 seven weeks right before delivery. And my doula was like, ask them why they're making you do it again. And they were like, they just wanted to make sure everything was okay. And she was like, you are more than welcome to say no, but it makes you feel like a bad mom. If you could potentially be doing something to cause harm to your child. Because my pregnancy was very uneventful besides being sick every day. Um, it was completely uneventful, but normal as far as like, there were no scares, there were no tests that came back bad. Like you were a healthy pregnant woman. And every time you went into the doctor, they treated you as though you were the most high risk unhealthy patient they've had. So because of my weight, they make me get extra ultrasounds, which you love to see the baby more often, but I don't need an ultrasound every two weeks. Every ultrasound. You were, wait, perfect. you were going every two weeks? Starting at about 28 weeks, uh, they, what, they did ultrasounds every two weeks. What's normal? Because you, I've, I haven't gone through yeah, pregnancy. So, so what's, they no, often what's normal? They do every month towards the last trimester and then every two weeks closer to the end. But I was doing it starting in my third trimester and everything was fine. There was never a scare. There was never a, oh, you might go into labor the only scare was I got into a car accident the week before my induction. Oh, Jesus. Well, yeah, <laughs> that, that's a, that's that a had nothing to do with the pregnancy. So let's get into delivery. Did you know the doctor that was going to deliver? Was your doula allowed to be there? Um, and were there complications? Were there not? Was, what was the conversation yeah. during labor? I got birth in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, May no. of 2020. Oh. Okay. And so my doula was not allowed to be there. Um, she was there on the phone, but she wasn't there in person. And when I got there, I had two black nurses and I was like, oh my God, thank God. I was really excited, way more excited than I probably should have been. But <laughs> when I saw the doctor, there was a woman who came in, a black woman. And I was like, hey, I just want to make sure y'all aren't going to force me into a C-section just because I'm fat. Oh, so that was, so you had that conversation. Oh, I was not afraid to have it. Well, were they, is that something that they were pushing you towards having a cesarean because of your weight? They kept saying that it would not be just my weight. But when I asked this doctor, she said, I don't know, it could happen. That's not what I, no, (laughs) no. And that was my biggest fear. My doula and I had worked through that fear of a C-section, but my biggest fear was that I wouldn't wake up afterwards. I was so afraid to be, to get um, anesthesia and not wake up from it. Cause I haven't been under anesthesia before. Okay. So your fear was anesthesia, not, and the not actual... waking up from it or not listening to me. 
And right. I finally got to, I had an Asian doctor who he was amazing and he didn't push anything, but closer to pushing, um, a, a male doctor, he was there and I said, I need you to promise me you won't let them push me into a C-section. And he said, I promise. And he was a white okay. male. And this was, this was my fear. But when I got the epidural, the guy was like, I can't quite see through the fat. I'm, it's not quite working. Wait, who said this? He you, was th- a younger epidural. That, that, was not, that was not said. He said You it. heard that? Yeah, and I was so scared. And he tried for almost 30 minutes. The most painful part of childbirth was that epidural going in. And it fell out. <laughs> After he tried for 30 minutes to put it in, it fell out. And they sent in the chief of anesthesiology who got it back in in less than 10 minutes okay and he did it great so obviously that wasn't the issue (laughs) and overall and i tell people this a lot because i don't want people to misunderstand that being fat while pregnant results in this traumatic birthing experience my birthing experience was phenomenal after the epidural my nurses didn't force me to give birth laying on my back I sat up and they gave me a bar to pull on so I wasn't stuck on my back even with the epidural. It was great. I mean, we pushed for three hours. <laughs> and um, going into the, towards the end of the three hour mark, he was like, her head is right here. We don't want to have to go into a C-section. You made me promise. Right. And she came. And even recovery. I had what is a fourth degree tear. But my okay. recovery was great. Now, you, you got to explain it. Listen, there's a lot of women listening. And as myself, what I didn't know there was first, second, third, fourth. I didn't know there were degrees of tears. So what is a fourth degree tear? Further back into your perineum. And so that's what happened. Just because I was pushing for so long. Right. I was exhausted. Um, and so they stitch it back up. Right. But my recovery was smooth. Instead of a six-week follow-up, I had a four-week follow-up, and it was all healed. And normally, it takes eight to ten. You should have been like, see, bitches, I'm healthy. And that's what I told (laughs) my doctor. I was like, I'm fine. There's (laughs) Like, there was nothing wrong. My mama told me the other day. She said, have you called them? And I was like, no. She said, you need to call them or go up there and take a picture of your baby. Can I also ask you in – so after giving birth – were there conversations regarding you breastfeeding? Were there conversations about you potentially gaining more weight with the pregnancy that that was an issue? What other what, what things came came across their table to bring to you as could be potentially a problem post birth? Um. So now post birth, they weren't concerned with any issues. Okay. Um, aside from I had a really bad migraine from the epidural, and instead of ignoring it, they sent me to a neurologist. So they were really adamant and on top of that. I still see her to this day for migraines. Okay. Um, breastfeeding, if I knew what I knew now then, I would look for a lactation consultant who had experience with larger breasts. Because if they don't, they don't know how to show you how to make the baby latch. Because my biggest oh. fear was, what if I suffocate her? You know, we're first-time parents away from our parents because our parents live in Georgia and we're in South Carolina. But also COVID, it you you know, that when eliminated we, you even took, being around people too. We took COVID very seriously. Since February, March of 2020, 
I have gone into a store maybe three times. Oh, wow. Even now, today. We are fully vaccinated and I'm still very paranoid. Um, okay. I don't trust people and I have to keep her safe. Right. Of course. So we, even during the whole time I stayed home, she just, we took her somewhere for the first time two weeks ago and she saw another kid a little white boy, and she kept trying to touch his face. And I was like, you can't touch people. You can't not, uh. <laughs> I didn't even think about, I mean, how kids and their social skills are going to change because of this pandemic. Uh-huh. It's, you know, because they, they don't know what a pandemic is or what's going on. Or He's not in daycare. We've Our job sent us home. We work for the same company. We've been home since March. Oh, wow. So you get a blessing there because... We experienced her first year of life in face-to-face with her and didn't miss anything. But you also are in a place where it's a really hard balance of parenthood, being home, and a pandemic. Well, I, I, I wanted to ask you as well before we get out of here. We started the episode and you said we wanted a family. We wanted three kids. Now I think we just going to stick at one. Now you've went through the process with doctors that now are familiar with you, that you somewhat trust, um, you know, the outcome you've been through it. What is stopping you from wanting to grow your family larger? And is it, it, you know, was it anything that caused PTSD from that first experience of pregnancy that is leading to that? What What's led you to now only possibly wanting one child instead of more? So aside from my daughter being real busy, cause I don't use the word bad, but aside from her being real busy, um, I would have to find an OB first. Because I went through maternal fetal medicine for my whole pregnancy, you have to be referred to them. So I have to find an OB first who's comfortable with taking me as a fat woman before I could even do that. And before my initial OB sent me home, she said, I would love to continue to see you as your gynecologist because mm. then you only see that one doctor. But I don't know if I want to go back there. She was great. She's phenomenal. But now I have a stink in my mouth because of the overall experience. Right, to right. To hear someone say, you're not a risk we want to take shows me that you're really worried about those numbers. And not worried about me as a human as being. A human. And my mom was, when I told her they switched me, she said, I was really hoping that they would. Not fire me, but let me go to maternal fetal medicine. She's like, because I want to make sure that you're okay. And, I, and that special attention is going to help. So she had her own concerns um, that she voiced very carefully. Okay. And so just, so that's kind of what's leaving you like. That's maybe what's this- leaving me there. Kind of like, I don't know if I want to be judged for nine months. I don't want to keep taking, drinking that nasty drink. I don't want to go to the doctor as much as I did. So I, I did want to clarify. Well, I wanted to talk uh, to you then um, without going through the process yourself. Uh, when we spoke previously, you gave me some insight on even your other family planning options that because of your weight, your weight also affects you doing things like IVF or doing things like adoption. Could you talk about how your weight is affecting you potentially having a child another way? So if I ever wanted to do IVF and IUI, I would have to lose an extreme amount of weight um, in order for it to ever even be an option. So they won't allow you to do it here anyway if your BMI is over 35. Oh, wow. 
They won't allow okay. you to do it. So I have really friends in New York who she sued the fertility clinic for discrimination because they would not work with her. And the thing is, you often hear for equal rights for all of these other groups in the medical community. But why can't I, as a fat woman, have equal rights in medical care? What is my weight doing? If I want to take the risk, it's my life. If I want to take the risk and get IVF or IUI, how do And if you have the money me? to do it, right. If the money like, to do it, why is that a problem? But you also hear, mm. you, we want, and we've always said we wanted to adopt one day. BMI plays a factor in adoption. If you're over a certain weight, they won't allow you to adopt a child. Okay, can you talk about, is this state specific? What, like, what, what research have you done or what experience do you have with either an adoption agency or someone denying you or telling you that you weren't um, eligible to be an adoptive parent because of your weight? What, what, so what is that about? So this is solely based on if you were to go to a private clinic. Now, if you were to go kind of through the city or the state, you may not have that same issue. But okay. for private clinics, especially in the South and some of the more Northern places, over 40 BMI is going to be an issue. Oh. And this is because they want healthy parents. But you can't automatically equate weight to health. Wait, t- Agreed. And Lizzo says that often as well. But also when I went to get my gastric, I was five one two thirty, and I was right at 35. I literally was told I couldn't lose weight or I wouldn't uh, qualify. And I literally only qualified because of BMI. But for any of you uh, who may not have grown up even knowing about the BMI scale, I'm five one. To be considered healthy, I'm supposed to weigh like 110 pounds. I haven't weighed that since like I was in fifth or sixth grade. So the idea that because of my height being so short, health-wise, anything over like 120, I start. I was I was called obese since I was 11 years old because of that BMI scale. So very familiar. But also, I'm just I'm bottom heavy. I have thighs. As black women, our bodies are just shaped differently than even white people or other cultures and and ethnicities and they don't put that into perspective as well we have to remember bmi wasn't made by a scientist it was made by the government right or something like that mathematician who just wanted a way to classify obesity but a Mm. scientist had nothing to do with it and the medical community uses your weight to determine a lot i uh, i run a small facebook group for fat moms and a lot of them are like, what ways can I combat this stigma or telling them you don't want to get on the scale? If a scale does not directly correlate to what is going to happen in this medical office today, I don't want to step on it. Oh, wow. Is, is that something that you can do? You, you can, can tell them? Absolutely I don't... do it. If it is oh, not wow. related to your treatment, there is zero need for you to get on that scale. If I'm going to the doctor today for a cold, why do I need a step on your scale? While you're pregnant, oh. absolutely, because your weight can mean a whole bunch of other things while pregnant. If you're gaining too fast, because I was throwing up so much, losing anything was seen as a problem too quickly. But right. for a cold, for a headache, there's zero reason. I fell the other day in the backyard playing with my kid in the pool. And when I went to the doctor's office, um, they were like, okay, step on this guy. I said, do I need to? I thought, what do you mean, do you need to? 
is there a medical reason you need my weight for a fall? And they were like, well, no. I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to get on it. Okay. And- I did not know that. And, and I know that just for a lot of women, whether they're battling weight issues or not, getting on the scale can trigger so much with women. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that you shared that. I didn't know that that was something you could deny. I'm a huge fan of speaking up for yourself. <laughs> especially especially in in going to a, a doctor's office. I guess so um, we always like to leave off with advice uh, to our listeners. And you said you have a Facebook group, which is amazing. But what type of advice would you give to a fat mom? Um, I know you have conversations with your Facebook group often, but where do you feel is one of the biggest concerns and what advice do you have to give to that concern? My biggest advice is your size is not the end all be all for your fertility or your pregnancy. Fight for your rights as a person to have a child because it always exists. I love that. And I also love that you've created a group of support because I know how important that is for people. Would you be able to drop the name of your Facebook group? By the way, I do also want to put that in the description of this episode uh, so that anyone who's interested knows where they can reach out to you. Like I said, you've come on just confident. Y'all, she checked me before. She's like, you could say fat. It's okay. I'm not offended. Like, let's just have a real ass conversation. And I love that too, because in these conversations a lot, um, especially just with culture now and society, you can offend people so easily. And so that I, I love that you were willing to check me early on that. Um, and again, where can people find you if they want, if they want to seek more about you, your journey or have any questions? Absolutely. So I'm fat positive motherhood on Instagram and the Facebook group is the exact same name, fat positive motherhood. And it's for anyone trying to conceive having a child already um and you don't have to identify as a woman we have quite a few um trans men in the community non-binary people in the community um are also able to join awesome that is amazing nikki thank you so much for reaching out and doing this episode with me and i'm certain that you definitely opened someone's eyes today with with your experience and your knowledge. So I appreciate you for joining me on Period Sis. And guys, as always, stay tuned for some stats and facts. Um, I do want to let you guys know some more information regarding obesity and pregnancy. So stay tuned. And Nikki, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. BMI and body mass index, again, was never supposed to be a predictor of health. It consistently overestimates fatness and health risks for fat people, especially individuals of color. It was never supposed to be used for women at all. This all just kind of plays into the 60, $70 billion diet industry and wellness industry that is so alive today. I want to thank so many of the women that reach out to me to share their story. Um, Again, Nikki reached out to me on Instagram and she said, I want to tell my story. I I think that this is another side to womanhood that should be shared and told. And it's not even for everyone to understand. But again, the lack of trust that we have in the healthcare system is, is unfortunate. 
And not only as black women is there a stigma and a fight for self, but as an obese or like Nikki corrected me as a fat woman, as a fucking fat woman, you're told all of these different things. And it is very true. Again, I mean, I've been considered obese probably since elementary school. And that goes by this dumbass BMI scale. And to be fair, um, everything from snoring, everything from headaches, everything from shortness of breath, everything from not being able to sleep at night, uh, depending on the doctor that you go to, once they put you on that scale, that is a very real diagnosis. Well, you're fat. If you lose weight, <laughs> maybe you won't have these issues anymore. And so that's unfortunate, specifically as black women, we have beautiful curves, we have hips, we have thighs. Uh, there is just the way we are are built is different than what maybe this BMI scale really allows. Um, and again, I'm just so happy that Nikki joined me to share her story. As far as stats effects, look up that BMI scale. Look up, uh, type in your height and see where the fuck they say you should land in order to be healthy. <laughs> That's all I'm going to really drop for the stat. I'm actually giving you a little bit of homework just to see how absolutely ridiculous it is. Um, there's, there's many ways that you can go and see it. Again, you just put your height and your weight and it'll pretty much let you know by that if you're overweight or not. Um, but I want to thank all of you who tune in week in and week out, um, not only here to period sis, but to my other platforms as well, horrible decisions and see the thing is I want to thank all of you who have purchased and supported, uh, everything that this brand stands for. That is official box owner. Um, and officialboxowner.com has all the goodies over there. So go on over, use promo code BOXCARE and get you 15% off of your entire order. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, The Horrible Sis. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. And again, if you have a story that you want to share here, reach out to me on my Instagram at Full Court Pumps. Reach out to us on Instagram at officialboxowner or email us at info at officialboxowner.com I would love for you to get on here and share your story and once again guys until next time thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of period sis bye guys bye.